Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Marco Argenti. Marco is the Chief Information Officer of Goldman Sachs, a multinational investment bank and financial services company that earns roughly $60 billion in annual revenue. He's a member of the Management Committee, the Firmwide Technology Risk Committee, the Firmwide Client and Business Standards Committee, and the Firmwide Enterprise Risk Committee. And he joined the company in 2019 as a partner of the firm. Prior to his time at Goldman Sachs, he spent roughly six years as the Vice President of Technology of Amazon Web Services, or AWS, overseeing all aspects of the product lifecycle of cloud services, including strategy, business planning, and developer engagement. I look forward to hearing more about his journey from one of the uh, premier digital native organizations to one of the older and, and more storied investment banks uh, and learning more about the journey and pathway he sees ahead for Goldman Sachs. Marco Argenti, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Peter, it's uh, such a honor to be here today. You're kind to say that. But first, a quick word from our partner, Adyen, and the company's chief operating officer, Cameron Zaki. Adyen is a payment platform company that allows businesses to accept e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. And Cameron wanted to provide a short overview of what Adyen has to offer. Cameron, over to you. Thanks, Peter. It's one global platform on which you can do many continents and countries, all the relevant payment methods, which vary significantly across different parts of the world to online and physical world or mobile. And we've continued to expand from there. If you go to a dinner party and people ask you what you do when you say this, they're like, that sounds like common sense. Why is it unique? The reality is that a lot of the players who've been around for decades have grown on mainframe computing, releasing once or twice a year, buying other companies, and then they give you one API. But behind the scenes, it's a bit of a spaghetti mess, unfortunately. What IDN did and what we do is sort of really do the backend plumbing that is a little less sexy at times, but really makes the difference in being able to say, hey, it was Peter. Do you know that he you know, shops online and on mobile and in your store and you can recognize him and you can connect all the dots and it's not just enabling the payment, but it's, hey, how do you factor that into loyalty and marketing and all kinds of other use cases? Thanks, Cameron. And now on to the interview. Well, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, Goldman Sachs, an organization that doesn't need much introduction, but one that even in your short tenure has gone through some pretty remarkable changes uh, in terms of its own direction and businesses it's getting into. Talk a bit, if you would, just in, in brief about uh, an overview of the business that you're in. Yeah, so um, obviously, like uh, you uh, introduced uh, gracefully, Goldman Sachs is uh, definitely one of the most prominent uh, financial institutions uh, in the U.S. and, and worldwide. Uh, but uh, importantly, and this is kind of what attracted uh, uh, me in the first place, uh, is uh, an organization that has always tried to be at the forefront uh, of, uh, of innovation and try to anticipate changes in the uh, in the industry and technology. And, uh, and I think that's kind of in the DNA of the firm, to try to be nimble, to try to be smart, to try to be anticipating trends. I guess uh, the technology part of Goldman Sachs is something that over the years uh, have actually evolved uh, from uh, uh, being, uh, let's say, a support function, like it historically was uh, uh, in many financial institutions, in something that actually becomes uh, a product for the, for their customers with the recent announcement that we made. I can go uh, more in details on that. But also really like uh, as one of the ways that we create competitive advantage uh, over the app. So technology first approach, is something that you heard our CEO, David Solomon, say 
uh, many things. And I guess I think I'm part of that plan. And that's what ultimately attracted me to join the firm. That's very interesting. And uh, talk a bit about, you, you began to allude to it, and I'd just love to double click a bit more on your role as Chief Information Officer. Can you talk a bit about your, your purview in that role? Yeah. So I lead uh, um, the engineering organization, uh, which is uh, a bit more of uh, than 12,000 uh, people, mostly developers, and what we call strats, which are uh, essentially our uh, quantitative engineers uh, that work on models and also work on the technology behind that. The role really uh, of a CIO, I mean, classically is really to try to keep the firm safe, to keep the, the to make sure that the firm has the systems to support their business and its growth. But I think uh, in this case, I think, uh, you know, my role is uh, a role of digital transformation, is a role of actually cultural transformation, uh, first and foremost, within uh, the engineering organization. So, I mean, to kind of uh, set the stage right now, uh, and I, I started to see this uh, when I was uh, uh, at AWS, where I was serving a lot of customers, which were uh, large multinational companies going through a rapid change in the technology landscape, leading to uh, the need of kind of upskill their uh, their technology and, and, and upgrade their technology, but also kind of uh, think technology in a different way. I came to appreciate uh, how difficult it is for companies to go through that transformation. And also, on the other side, uh, how much reward that can be when those transformations are successful. In a world that is more and more complex, in a world that is more and more uh, data-driven, in a world uh, that uh, obviously where uh, profound changes uh, and, and 100 years events are almost like right now happening on a daily, a daily basis, which is where the world where we live, the ability to uh, really understand uh, and have a good model of uh, your data, your data sources, uh, the way you can pick up signals that maybe might not be picked up by others is a fundamental importance uh, in order to drive your, your overall strategy as a firm. The journey that uh, really we started to embark as a CIO organization is uh, a journey that really hinges on three main pillars of transformation. One is around the people, really around the idea that any company, but especially in our industry, needs to master technology at least as well as a, as a technology company. So we can't take a discount because we are not in technology. Technology now is, a, is at the point that you need to be as, be as good or better than anybody else, regardless of the industry. So there is a people aspect, being able to attract the best of the best, being able to make sure that uh, you're really uh, giving these people the opportunity to do their best work within uh, uh, an organization like ours. The second pillar is about uh, how do you make sure that uh, those people are actually working effectively, they're working together, they're working uh, uh, on something that is aligned with the business objectives and the strategy. And so it's what we call mechanisms, i.e. a way to build software that really works backwards from uh, the customer and really follows a, a pretty rigorous process to try to understand the business objectives before you actually write the first line of code. And then the third leg of the strategy is uh, trying to reverse uh, the paradigm of the bigger you are and the slower you go, which is, I'm sure, something that you heard before, <laughs> to the bigger you are, at least you are at the same speed, but possibly you can actually get faster, which is something that I experienced very clearly in AWS that actually started to release more and more products and faster and faster as they were getting uh, bigger, which is... Sometimes you can call it the technology flywheel, where uh, 
anything you build that can be built be used by others to build on top, therefore reducing the build time. So those three strategies, excellence in people and and uh, rigorous but uh, customer focused mechanisms, and scalable platforms. It's kind of a magic triad that uh, I think uh, is really behind the strategy that we're trying to implement as uh, technology leaders in uh, at the forefront of digital transformation. Well, you describe for good reason, Marco, why you were excited about this opportunity and the description you have of those three pillars, which I'd love to uh, cover in a bit more detail, um, are, are remarkable and, and very much emblematic of what one might expect to hear from a digital native organization and a, and a tech first organization, if you will, a sort of uh, typical, like in Amazon, for example, where you, where you once worked. Uh, yours is an organization that was founded in 1869. And I wonder if you had any misgivings uh, or concerns before joining, obviously a prestigious uh, bank and a, um, a a premium brand, but nevertheless, one born well before the digital age, more than a century before the digital age. Uh, and, and so I wonder if it, were there any misgivings you had about how how quickly you could realize a vision like the one you just described? I've uh, worked with big transformation projects with customers uh, of AWS, uh, and uh, and I know it's it's change is difficult. I mean, anything that especially goes at the core of uh, of an established culture, especially in a very successful company, it's something that is almost intrinsically hard to change. And in fact, that was kind of my biggest worry coming in, which is okay, I'm not going in for a turnaround because uh, you know Goldman Sachs is actually extremely successful, and so. How does a successful company embrace change as opposed to resist change? I have to say that if the leadership has the foresight to see that no matter how successful you are in the current context, there could be a change of context due to externalities, which we can talk about, which will change the landscape and shift the table and then paradigms, then you need to be open to change by definition. And that's kind of what was in the agenda of David and uh, Solomon and John Waldron, who are the people that hired me, which I actually found extremely open to change, but also with a, a pretty distinct uh, challenger mentality, which is, you know, in this world, you need to adapt in order to, to be successful. And there are a lot of external disruptors uh, that uh, are, are coming our way. One is, again, like I said, the complexity, the increasing complexity of the business, the increasing uh, reliance on data, the competitive uh, pressure from new entrants, from fintech entrants, from technology companies, from other banks, which is uh, intensifying, changing in the political landscape, extreme uh, upgrade of the of the threats uh, from a cyber standpoint. So there's almost like a perfect storm of change. And technology is often the answer for the, for that because uh, it's something that uh, you can generally adapt and deploy with a certain speed. Other things are more difficult to change. Fortunately, we're 100% digital and software tends to be more malleable than metal or than, you know, if we were producing airplanes or anything like that. And so being a complete 100% software organization with essentially no bricks and mortar and just people and software, I think uh, we are in a good position to be open to change. And so I think my fears, which are obviously you hit it in the head, is something that is is always a concern, especially for someone coming from a different industry, like I was with uh, 
very little prior knowledge of uh, uh, of the financial services industry. It's something that obviously I asked myself quite a bit, but it was the you know the openness and also like the profound transformation agenda of, of, of the leadership that uh, that really helped a lot. I have to say I have many colleagues, ex colleagues, uh, or people in the tech industry that moved to uh, other industries, and we can talk about that a little bit more also because I love the fact that what's happening at Goldman is happening in many other industries. And some of them were not as successful. And if I look at the pattern, not that, I'm, that we're successful yet, but you know, I'm saying some of them uh, uh, were more successful than, than others were really trying uh, uh, very hard uh, you know, to learn from that, from that and even to learn from our own mistakes and keep going forward in our transformation. A common pattern, a common failure mode is when you are uh, not driving those changes from the top. Cultural transformation can only come uh, and can only be successful uh, when it comes when it's embraced at the highest possible level. You need to have your CEO with you. You need to have your board with you, and the board was extremely supportive. Otherwise, the 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 head the headwinds can be you know sometimes just too strong because as I said, any company naturally resists uh, uh, change, especially successful one. And so in this case, I really enjoyed the. Uh, I'm still enjoying full support from from the leadership, which is really what got us to start uh, peeling, you know, all the layers of change, starting to introduce new mechanisms, starting to introduce uh, new practices, starting to introduce new functions. I'm, I love to talk to you about some of the stuff that we introduced, and really starting to see the change happen. Yeah, very interesting across the board. Uh, you're also, you I mean, you, you note that you were new to the industry. Uh, your predecessors of yours uh, had deep experience not only in the, the industry uh, but at Goldman itself. Uh, you know, the George Lee, uh, uh, Marty Chavez, other other people who've held the title that you've had, who were with the organization for a long time. Obviously, I can only imagine it helped that you're coming from you know perhaps the most famous of the, of the uh, technology organizations, surely on the short list of the the the, the most famous uh, technology organizations. But when you think about culture change, that really important first step that you described of the three uh, uh, legs of the stool, so to say, of your strategy, um, how did you feel uh, about building that credibility within an organization in a context that you didn't not that, that wasn't um, you know sort of in your blood as yet? Um, yeah. Talk a bit about that. Well, first of all, uh, being open about what I don't know. It's generally a good uh, approach because it kind of builds trust, and uh, and also being fairly opinionated on things that I've seen uh, work, but being able to adapt. And so the listening part uh, was, of course, a big ingredient because this is a very complex business. Make no mistake. But then there are patterns uh, that are common, uh, especially in engineering across various industries, which are uh, something that you can abstract and you can apply. One of them being uh, realizing the, the 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 change of the role of the engineer within uh, an organization, which used to be called an IT organization, and now it's really generally called a technology organization. But it's more like something that I've seen uh, across automotive, across healthcare, across uh, manufacturing, across oil and gas, and across also financial services. Which is, you can't have an engineering team that only talks about bits and bytes. They need to think about the why. One of the devices that, of change that we introduced was in the first few months was actually setting a, a series of tenets, which we call the engineering tenets, that are really the, the way 
you know, we internalize this kind of change and we try to express it in words and we try to express it into a set of uh, almost like proxies uh, for when decisions are not clear. We call them the engineering leadership tests. And the first one uh, is what I was talking about, which is build with purpose. Build with purpose basically means start with the why. Do not just build. First of all, ask yourself, why should I build even anything? And by the way, a culture that tends to build everything, and then you start asking, you, oh, first of all, should I even build it at all? And by the way, should I build it in-house or should I use a vendor? And you start asking yourself almost like anti-engineering uh, uh, questions because every engineer, they want to build. So if you even say, why should I build? It's almost like uh, you know, you're immediately creating a little bit of tension, but it's really positive tension. And so uh, starting from the why and, the re- and, and you know, the ultimate unifier between uh, engineering and business is the client, because at the end of the day, the client will interact with your products, which are going to be built by engineers. And if the client is, those products are not good and the client is not happy, even worse, if the products are not fit for the purpose, then the business is going to suffer. So that's the ultimate intersection. That's where we start from. You know, we made a pact with the engineering leadership and, uh, in, you know, across our, our various businesses that let's take the most important projects, say 100 projects, large scale. And for each of them, let's apply the so-called working backwards process. So we write uh, like Amazon style, a PR and FAQ, we write the memo, we kind of adapted the process a little bit, and we ask ourselves the questions, who is the customer? What is the problem or opportunity that uh, we're trying to solve or optimize for? What is, what is the benefit for the customer once that's solved? How do we know that that's uh, what the customer wants or needs? And then what will be the user experience? And until you answer those questions, we don't start building anything. And then we review those uh, memos uh, at the beginning of every meeting. We sit down, we read, and then we have a discussion. And I was actually surprised to see how, you know, that's a big change because imagine that the normal pattern is you have a, a bunch of highly opinionated people that love to present their PowerPoint and it becomes a mix between content and performance, right? So it's kind of a performing art in a way. And I tell you that uh, the engineers really love the, the fact that you, you, you're really introducing mindfulness, thoughtfulness, uh, and also inclusion in the process because, you, you know, people that like me, obviously you can hear I'm not, you know, I, I can barely speak English. <laughs> obviously I'm not a, a native speaker, joking aside. People that historically had difficulties in expressing themselves in a different language, but they might actually have a lot to say. Or people that have not such a strong personality, or maybe they are afraid to present, especially in front of senior management, etc. Often, almost always, people that are smart, they have great mental models, they can actually write it down, and they can write it down exceptionally well. And then when you read something, instead of seeing someone present, your brain switches into... Uh, reading mode, uh, which takes the aggressiveness down quite a bit, it takes the competition down quite a bit, and it gets into, okay, I I really need to pay attention to this. And so when the discussion starts, the discussion is a world apart from where it generally is during the PowerPoint. Biggest pattern when you do a PowerPoint presentation is you ask a question, interrupt the person, the person says, oh, you know, it's actually slide 23. Give me a second, I'm going to go back there, or they interrupt the flow and the whole thing becomes messy. So 
Now we do that. We do that not for every single meeting, but we do it for the most important things that we build. We instituted uh, places like the platform steering group uh, or the digital strategy team where we bring business and technology people together. We go through that process. And I think that has been absolutely transformational. I would suggest that uh, uh, to any company. To the point that actually there are other companies, some of our clients that uh, have come to us and they've asked us to kind of, uh, you know, coach them uh, on the process. uh, And we've started kind of implement that uh, as, uh, you know, something that is almost like a common uh, uh, language between the people that we deal with. So that's uh, that's one of the ways we do cultural change. So you kind of go back to first principle. Mm -hmm. You kind of go back to something that you've seen work across the industries. And you try to establish tenets that people relate to, such as, uh, you know, that we value data-driven decisions, that, uh, you know, that uh, um, uh, we want we want to inspire trust, that we want to build with purpose, that, uh, uh, you know, we, we really look around corners. So uh, things that are not obvious, but then uh, they become uh, central to the way people operate. And that's how you drive change. And that's kind of independent of the sort of a specific knowledge because you always have a lot of domain experts, but then how do you actually make them uh, deliver something that is great uh, for the customer? And, you know, and that's, uh, and that's, that's the way we chose. Very interesting. I, I, speaking of customers and that second pillar of uh, uh, building software that works backward from customer needs the customer, the nature of the customer has been changing quite a bit, Marco, uh, at Goldman Sachs. Um, there's always been a B2C component uh, to the business. One thinks of wealth management, for example, but the primary area that uh, uh, Goldman has been been famous for is the B2B segment, the investment bank and you know the investing done in, in M&A and so, so forth that's done within a corporate setting. In recent years, there's been much more of an emphasis on, uh, I should say, a building emphasis, not, not taking over the B2B side, but on a different kind of customer, an individual customer. And I wonder how you think about, uh, I mean, it strikes me actually, in some ways, you're very well positioned. It's kind of the reverse of Amazon, the company you once worked for that went from a you know B2C as the primary area of business to the part that you were uh, a member of for, for more than half a decade in the B2B segment, AWS. And, and I wonder what learnings you draw from that and how you think about um, under working back from customer needs for very different kinds of customers. Yeah, that's a great question. Two things. One is uh, it introduces uh, a new customer persona uh, in the mix uh, in in Goldman Sachs that we actually that wasn't one of the traditional uh, uh, clients that we used to serve, which is the developer. We've seen and I've seen that uh, you know for many many years that the growing importance. Uh, of developers uh, into decision making when it comes to adoption of B2B services. Okay. So, really, uh, you know, we have, there are so many examples out there of companies that have, uh, including AWS, that have put a lot of investment into the developer experience. And that has been the key for adoption of services. So, recently, we announced a new uh, business for the firm, uh, uh, one of the main divisions called Platform Solutions, where we really kind of made a sort of a bold move. Uh, to uh, really create a segment of our business as it's all about externalization of our services with a B2B and a developer focus. And uh, doing that uh, has really, um, in a way, merged uh, the incredible client orientation that Goldman has and has always expressed with uh, 
you know, the, now the ability to serve those customers with technology in addition uh, to, uh, you know, financial uh, and banking services. I think the uh, uh, the offering that we kind of call uh, uh, financial cloud, it's something that uh, is really about taking something that is really complex and really uh, like core to our business, but also to other companies' business, such as payment, for example. Abstracting the complexity, which could be scale, could be regulation, could be uh, you know operational complexity, etc., and offering it to our clients in the form of a service. Okay, and service, by the way, is very different than product. That's something that you know it takes decades to understand. Uh, and uh, you know, fortunately, we were able to attract uh, many, many people uh, uh, in the recent years that have run services, and also. Uh, Goldman has been in the services business now for a long time. Marquee was created almost ten years ago, and it's a, it's a, you know it's offered as a service. And uh, most recently, transaction banking, which has been offering uh, for a couple of years now to large corporate customers, those are all services. And and the difference between a product and service is something that uh, you know some people ask me, you know, like, how, how do I think about that? And generally, I like to to exemplify that. Uh, by saying, okay, imagine that you need to prepare food, okay? So that's your product. <laughs> if you cook for your family, then you have a product. If you open a, a restaurant, then you have a service, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Even if it's the same exact kitchen and the same exact food, but I tell you that restaurant uh, has one purpose, which is to offer a level of service, which is constant, which is innovative and rotating, but is also adheres to certain standards, uh, has a certain predictability, has a certain capacity management. So that all thing that makes re- restoration such a, uh, uh, like uh, hospitality, uh, I mean, s- such, a, such a complex uh, uh, business as opposed to just building a product. And it's like for us, building software is just the first step. It can be complex software, okay, like a complex recipe, but the problem is really operating that software with cert- that meets a certain service level expectations, which is really what uh, customers are expecting to get out of that. And so back to you know the principle of building with purpose. And so for that, with the idea that really in this cloud businesses, what you're really selling is the abstraction of complexity. So think AWS. Many times AWS sells uh, uh, services that are based on open source software, but then adds uh, this layer of management that actually abstracts a lot of the complexity of operating a service, such as uh, uptime, uh, alerting, uh, um, you know, patching, uh, auto-scaling, uh, logging, the billing, and all those things that uh, are so hard uh, to, to manage. And so... Um, this is what we want to do with our uh, platform solution, which is we take primitives, banking primitives, such as payments, such as loans, such as uh, credit card, uh, uh, creation of uh, ETFs, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then you package them uh, into services that have a very consistent way to be delivered to our customers. They offer through APIs, which are application programming interfaces. They target developers with a great developer experience. And at that point, I think... uh, Whoever manages to do that for the complexity of our business or for any industry business, uh, not just for the underlying IT layer, I think it has uh, a tremendous potential in the, in, in the year going forward. That's really, for me, one of the greatest transformations that I'm seeing, which is 
hey, you know what? 10 years ago, we were thinking about how do you abstract the complexity of a database or compute, et cetera. Now you're actually thinking about the level above. How do you abstract the complexity of manufacturing? How do you abstract the complexity of uh, finance? How do you, you know, and, and all that, I think, uh, as a potential for value creation that is, uh, that is, is really amazing. I can maybe just give you, if you want, a couple of examples of things that we do on that, uh, because we started this journey. Now we kind of made it more into a single uh, offering, but Marquee is our digital storefront uh, where uh, you have market insights, analytical tools, you have execution services, you have uh, data services, and what also we launched uh, uh, last year for uh, AWS uh, called the Financial Cloud for Data. So basically uh, services that are targeted to the trader, targeted to the chief investment officer, et cetera, like in this institutional nature. Um, transaction banking, which is imagine like is an offering for uh, for treasurers, CFOs, but is essentially uh, a way to manage uh, your payments and your cash balance balances in a, an incredibly efficient way, introducing elements of, of, of innovation like virtual accounts so that you don't have to keep money and balances in all the accounts in the various countries, for example, or the various institutions you need to pay. So that is all offered native, uh, cloud native through APIs, et cetera. Like uh, the card origination, like card issuance, like we we built uh, the Apple Card, obviously, and and uh, and the uh, MyGM Rewards Card. Doing it in a way that is not your classic uh, white label card, but it is something that is completely customizable by the client, so they can create an optimal user experience. Um, the ETF acceleration. It takes generally two years to to bring an ETF to market for anybody. There is so much complexity underlying, and we are aiming to do it to allow our clients to do it in weeks or months. Uh, so really cutting that time because we are abstracting a lot of that complexity and so on and so forth. So we already have a really nice uh, uh, set of primitives. There will be more to come. And I think, uh, uh, in my opinion, this is actually one of the most uh, uh, interesting uh, aspects of uh, that really exemplifies the transformation that we're going through. You, you really highlight the virtue of this abstraction of complexity, which calls to mind that ironic or or or, or counter to expectation uh, goal that you have of getting larger and in the process of getting larger, getting faster and better. Uh, contrary to most organizations, as you call out, uh, of of becoming more unwieldy and and uh, you know the whole analogy of of a ship, right? As the ship gets larger, it's much more difficult to turn. And so, having an organization that actually becomes increasingly nimble, the larger that you get. I'm I'm hearing you talk about the necessary ingredients in order to actually accomplish that. Um, are there any other aspects that you would call out as uh, as important in in driving that possibility? I think the um, the importance of uh, being nimble and agile uh, and uh, and being uh, able to to react to change and really the ability to also drive innovation because uh, you know like I said before uh, the world out there is not static things change also these new offerings are something that you know we're kind of you know somehow exploring new grounds and 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 in some cases is uh, things that we've never done. Uh, before at scale, and uh, it takes a little while to build muscle. So we really need to learn uh, uh, by talking to our customers, by being uh, engaged with them, by kind of you know making sure that we have uh, uh, appropriately set up our systems uh, 
in order to support that. And I think that kind of leads to the third pillar, which is the platform. So anybody can, uh, you know, strategies are kind of free, right? You can read about the strategy. You're going to hear it on on this podcast. You can, you know, hire a consulting company that will tell you, oh, you know, there's a big opportunity in externalizing services. Okay, great. But then you cannot just wake up one day and just start externalizing stuff because you can only do it if you have a solid foundation underneath. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's not going to scale. Um, my break, I might be taking longer than expected. And so I think that's why this strategy is only possible if the other elements that we talked about, i.e. we're confident that we have great technologists and we're able to attract and, and retain and, 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 and grow our technologists uh, uh, um, a team. And the other one, we have platforms underneath that are built for scalability. There are uh, mostly, you know, uh, cl- built cloud native, and they have uh, data models that allow you to connect all the dots and not having to go very complex kind of batch type of transformation, which are so typical of classic IT. You kind of almost need like a real-time uh, uh, operating system behind all this that actually takes all the signals, brings them together, unifies them into a single uh, uh, fabric. Uh, that's kind of the prerequisite for being able to externalize services. And so, uh, you know, data is one of the lifebloods and big enablers of the strategy. Uh, we've been investing a lot uh, in our data quality, in, in our uh, data lineage, in our data uh, platforms, the ability to abstract the complexity of data, how we represent, for example, you know, a derivative, or how do we represent, uh, you know, a complex, uh, you know, option, or, or how do we represent trades, and how we uh, going on and on and on. Um, and we decided to, you know, like to take a fairly modern and standardized approach to that by creating a, a standard which started internally. We used to call it uh, Alloy. Um, and then we eventually made the, the decision to uh, uh, offer as an open source uh, project uh, to the community through an institution called Finos, which is the financial services uh, uh, open source uh, uh, organization. And in October 2020, we launched uh, uh, what we call now uh, Legend. That Think of that as uh, a way to represent data in a standardized format, which is human-readable and machine-readable, which is extensible, so you can create new products. And then it's supported by a set of tools that allow non-technical people to create relationships between data, et cetera. And then it creates all the classes and all the methods and all the machinery in order to make that work in your applications. Why is that important? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if we all talk different languages, and, and believe me, often you see even within the same firm or within the same company that you have groups that talk different languages, then uh, you need to do translation. So when you do a translation, something gets lost. And then imagine the same thing happens uh, outside. And so you have this incredible web of translations that then becomes uh, your, really your limit to scalability. So we invested a lot to fix that internally. And now we kind of trying to, you know, uh, uh, um, use it as a lingua franca among our partners so that we also have uh, an ecosystem around it. And this idea of the financial cloud, imagine that is so crucial that we, we, who we talk to speaks the same language. And so we not only offer functionality, we also offer a, a semantic way to describe our products. Um, we have, uh, we've also done it for digital assets. So we launched recently uh, what we call Datonomy. 
which is a classification system for uh, the uh, digital asset market that uh, is designed uh, to provide investors, service providers, developers, researchers, like a way to help to monitor uh, uh, market trends, to analyze portfolio risks, uh, etc. So it is really like a data service, a data classification service. Uh, and I think uh, this approach of having a well-designed architectures of foundational uh, uh, platforms, and also have uh, this overlay of uh, highly curated data and data representations is kind of your prerequisite to then being able to offer those services to the external world. So it's a big build. It's something that we've been working on uh, for quite a while. And you know, it's not uh, it's not easy, but I think you know we have examples out there of companies that have done it successfully in you know, in different contexts, uh, and uh, you know we have examples of things that have been incredibly successful. So on, also within Goldman, like the XB, like the the Apple Card, and we really want to build on that and build on that experience in order to really take it to the next level. Yeah, gr- great examples across the board, uh, Marco. I appreciate you sharing those. I wanted to ask you, um, as somebody who's reached such such heights across multiple gold standard organizations, uh, as you reflect on your own career, what have been some of the difference makers for you uh, on your pathway to success and and accomplishment and and executive roles? What, what are some of the opportunities that that presented themselves, mentors who who, who were there along the way, or, or other factors that you might call out um, as as difference makers for you? I guess you know one of the best uh, examples that I've ever got, and uh, uh, you know I don't necessarily need to to mention from whom, but uh, someone that I really respect is uh, uh, to try to be very very aware of your own biases and always challenge your own biases, because you know that's kind of a little bit of a pattern. The more you get experience, and the more you you know you kind of you know accumulate years of experience. Uh, so there is a good side of it, obviously. But the bad side is that your biases become so calcified and so you know cemented that then you know are very hard. Uh, it's very hard for you to actually see big changes coming. Okay, and so you know if I look at my career, it's always been kind of trying to see uh, you know what are the big changes and big disruptors uh, that are coming. And so you know started uh, you know, many years ago when I thought uh, that. Uh, you know, in a in a world dominated by you know desktop, personal computers, etc., maybe the internet would, would bring something very new. And that was a long time ago. But you know, that wasn't obvious when I did my first internet startups, and everybody was like, "What the heck is that?" And then looking at uh, how that evolved into mobile. So I was uh, you know running a mobile startup in the early 2000s, and I thought that you know at one point compute will eventually. Uh, become ubiquitous and you would have it, you know, in any moment of your life, regardless if you're in front of a computer or not. And then came, uh, you know, the app revolution and then, you know, the idea of, uh, uh, you know, of doing functionality on a phone. Um, and then the cloud in 2013 was very attractive for me, attractive for me because I, th- I thought that, you know, there was no way that the data centers will remain uh, as a going concern, the same way as people don't run their own power plants. And now I'm seeing this, uh, um, this uh, uh, you know big evolution of uh, uh, abstraction of business complexity and really tech-led uh, uh, business organizations that I think is uh, is uh, an absolutely uh, incredible trend out there. So um, it, you know, so back to your question, I think the challenging of my biases. I could have sat on uh, any of those steps and say, "Oh, this is going to be forever," because that's what I know, and I always try to look at what I don't know. Um, 
and 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 really this is what I what I tell people, uh, you know, especially like uh, you know, people that are at the beginning of your of their careers, which is uh try to get out of your comfort zone. The comfort zone is uh pleasant, but uh eventually the comfort zone uh, you know will kill you. And you need to be aware that you need to move, you need to move out of your comfort zone in order to have uh uh uh, you know, to have awareness uh, of what are going to be the challenges in front of you. Um, yeah, and so you know, keep learning, being humble, trying to be uh, aware of uh, your surroundings, uh, and uh, and then you know, when you have an instinct, why not follow it? Not be afraid of actually uh, uh, be wrong, because uh, you know, in order to get out of your comfort zone, you need to have a conviction of some sort. And so just follow the conviction knowing that uh, um, at one point you can, you know, can redefine what success looks like, or you can just admit that you're wrong and fail. Right. Great, great insights, Marco. Thank you for, for mining those for us. Uh, David Solomon, your chief executive officer, is famous about his passion for music. He's a DJ, uh, and it, it will even... Uh, apply his skills at, at, at major festivals. I understand you also are, are passionate about music and a practitioner as well. Uh, talk a bit about your own exploits uh, in music, if you would. At, uh, at a much, much smaller scale. Of yeah. course. I, don't, I don't enjoy that kind of fame. But uh, uh, yeah, so um, I play in a band, uh, actually, yeah, a band called uh, Element 47. And uh, in fact, now uh, that band is in Seattle. Now I moved to New York. So I have a new band uh, here called The Constructors. Um, and we actually are going to have a show soon uh, in, on the 14th of December at the Bauer Electric here in, uh, in, uh, in, in New York. But basically, we do it for charity because uh, um, about five years ago, when I was just playing in the basement uh, with a bunch of friends, one of those friends uh, who was a tech entrepreneur uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he died a few weeks later in a pretty tragic uh, uh, circumstances. And so we decided to kind of dedicate our, uh, you know, our, uh, uh, in a way, uh, time uh, and, and you know, musical <laughs> lack of talent, but let's say musical uh, efforts uh, to really raise money uh, against pancreatic cancer. Uh, we so we started to play in various venues. We started to do shows, and uh, you know I became board member of the Pancreatic Cancer uh, Association called PanCan. We raised over a million dollars actually so far for pancreatic cancer, which uh, you know for uh, for music is not that bad. Thanks to a lot of generous uh, uh, donors, but uh, um, yeah, that's that's really uh, you know a way for me to you know somehow um, you know nurture my passion, but also really trying to give back and do something good for others. That's really wonderful. Well, Marco Argenti, thank you for a dynamic conversation representative of the remarkable work that you and your team are doing and the work that you've done across multiple uh, organizations of consequence. It's been inspiring to, to hear more about your learnings and experiences in addition to your thoughts about the, the future of business. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us today. Thank you so much, today. Peter. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. <laughs>